Uh, whatever. We'll, fi- we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk through it and I'll embarrass myself and it'll be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Math is very hard. Yes. That is what I have learned over the years. Math is very hard. Ah, requires lots of. Thinking. You know, it isn't hard. Starting a podcast because we already did that. Did we? Yeah. Oh. Oh, you well, didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> cool. So what what do we do once we start a podcast? We usually say welcome to episode such and such. Well, no, we don't actually do that here. But you know, some we might do that if we were weird. Oh. I thought that that's what makes us weird is because we don't have a set schedule or a set, you know, predetermined format. Ah, uh, your weird is another man's treasure. What? <laughs> cool. So maybe I'll just say it then that this is episode 35 of Layer by Layer and we're recording now on Monday, June 29th. Uh, you know, this is a podcast that's ostensibly about Rubik's Cube, speed cubing, and occasionally slash often about other things. <laughs> Yes. Was there Those a bell in there or no? All true. No, there was no bell. Oh. Uh, did did not, the bell not change? Not like the prizes. Just no bell. Well, <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I, I have to talk about the bell, but that's follow-up. We're not at follow-up yet. Oh, okay. But, so maybe we'll get there. Um, <laughs> you can discuss the show on Reddit or Speed Solving. Um, you know, there's URLs for those things. Maybe Andrew can help us out with those URLs. Oh, I sure can. <laughs> you can go to speedsolving.reddit.com <laughs> slash r slash the dash layer dash by dash layer dash podcast dot seven six nine two one slash. Or just go to Reddit and look up the speed solving thread for layer by layer. <laughs> Andrew is a level 69 mage that can now <laughs> fuse URLs together. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Thank you. I have learned um, that today. Oh, and our logo, by the way, is by Sarah Olson. Um, was made Beautiful. by Sarah Olson. Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned, I have follow-up. I will start with the bell. <laughs> yeah, the people guessed the bell pretty fast. Um <laughs> I probably should have only rang it once in the episode. That's what I like. I was doing that at first, you know, the very first bell. I mm. was just like the first time something happened per episode. And then I gotcha. kind of forgot that the reason I was doing that was to make it harder because it would be really obvious if you do it every time. And then I did it every time and then it was really obvious. So, Oopsies. yeah. Yeah, there's a new bell. Um, and yes, many people guessed the bell. Um, I don't remember who was first. Maybe you, Aisha, on that pass to like get it exactly. Um, but it was it just was like punctuation related, right? Punctuation and special symbols. Yeah. Anytime you said punctuation or special symbols, I didn't really realize when I came up with it, that you would be doing that every episode basically and saying URLs and stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that one was pretty obvious. I've got a different one. It might also be obvious, but I'm only going to do it the first time every episode from now on. So hopefully it won't be that obvious. Um, and I think I heard a bell already. Uh, that was me moving stuff on my desk, so no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if that was, like, when the episode had already started either, so I was like, hmm. No, yeah, that was, like, right when we started recording and we weren't actually doing an episode. Okay. Yeah, usually I can't even hear the bells because, like, Discord doesn't pick it up for whatever reason. Yeah. But, I don't know. So that's cool. That's probably the quickest <laughs> bell we've had. We had, like, the first bell in the, the, this show that took, like, you know, over 10 episodes, it felt like to get solved. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're just kind of going down every other episode. Yeah. Yeah. This, this one, this one will hopefully be good. Yeah. I've also decided I'm only going to ring the bell at the end of a sentence also, assuming that's the sort of thing that triggers it. So like you won't be able to tell exactly what in the sentence triggered it. So we're making it a little harder here. I can't imagine what else would trigger a bell that wouldn't be something I would say, therefore, could be triggered at the end of a sentence. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Unless, like, we're starting to do visual cues on a podcast, which is awful. Yeah, it's uh, whenever you blink. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't uh, even see me right now. I can guess. Um, 
I am a pretty heavy blinker, so you probably have to ring that bell very frequently. <laughs> new, new side episode idea. The uh, Hit the bell every time I blink. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do a video call for that. Um, <laughs> all right, but there, there's other follow-up as well. Okay. Um, so last episode we talked about streaming. I want to talk a little bit more about that. I have decided on like a schedule and stuff for my streaming, so I just wanted to announce that more formally here in case anyone wants to find that. Um, I'm going to be streaming every Friday from 4 to 6 Pacific time. You can figure that out in your own time zone. Yeah, so if you want to come check that out, you can. Kit will be on occasionally, and so will lots of other people. Is that your only time you're ever going to stream, or you, you just might do it randomly at other times? I might do it randomly at other times. I might also add to that schedule, but for now, that's what I'm doing. Um, cool. So I'll keep you updated on changes to that. And I also want to talk about streaming on the topic of Taslin, who you mentioned last episode. I feel like Taslin actually might benefit from being a bit slower than on most Twitch cubers because Taslin solves are like really easy to follow. So for other people who are around that speed... I feel like it's more interesting to watch that almost in some ways to watch somebody who's a bit slower and you can really see what each like step of their solve is and stuff. Like it wouldn't be that interesting to watch a speed run, right? If the speed run was over in eight seconds and like you can't mm-hmm. follow the splits or anything. But yeah, most people would watch like, you know, people pushing for world records on speed runs because they take hours to complete sometimes. So yeah, yeah. So I, I just feel like that might even be an advantage where it's like, oh, you can actually follow along with Taslin's solves and be like, oh, okay, he's doing better at this part of the solve, doing worse at this part, whatever, you know. I feel like that might be a benefit, actually, to him. Yeah, I think that that's fair to say about Taslin uh, to some extent, but I really think that um, his success, I think, from what I've seen, is much more predicated on like just that he's good at talking with his community. Oh, yeah, that too, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of people that stream on Twitch that are not necessarily, like, the fastest cubers. But um, mm-hmm. I think he does a lot of good stuff with bringing people onto his podcast, or not his podcast, his Twitch stream, <laughs> uh, for just, like, general, like, good conversation and also involves his chat in solving, you know, on Let's Cube, or I think he uses Let's Cube. So I think it's just, it's it's, he's just doing something different and mm-hmm. um solves being slower and easier to recognize for beginner cubers may be one reason he has a niche but i think that that's not necessarily the best reason he fits a niche yeah that's fair i i was just saying that because the I, I checked in on his stream and he was just like cubing and like talking throughout the solve about what he's doing mm. and it was like yeah i can actually follow these steps whereas if i tried to do that it'd be like uh yoline pair 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 (laughs) like you know uh yeah yeah so maybe he does have some appeal to you know cubers who are newer to the scene i don't know though yeah it's it's i i definitely agree agree, though that like that's probably not the main reason but i thought it was interesting to Mm -hmm. think about that or or even just like maybe that's not necessarily that much of a point about taslin but it might be a point about why streaming cubing is harder than other things right um to some extent because it is just inherently more difficult to follow i think i think though that there's a lot of like twitch streamers out there that aren't necessarily the fastest either but they don't get many viewers and i think that if you're gonna have that be a reason that like people come to watch you like you have to sort of like fit you, you have to have other reasons to fit like a niche in the twitch cubing community and yeah like I, I think the main thing is just that a lot of like newer cubers that try to Twitch stream just don't interact with their community well. Are you calling me out? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not was not thinking of you. I don't know. You just you see a lot of people trying to stream in like the Rubik's cube category on Twitch, and I don't know. There's there's various reasons why they don't see as much success as other streamers. Um, most notably, having bad layouts yeah <laughs> um where you know 90 percent of your screen is cs timer and not the cube <laughs> being solved but i think also like even if you do have a good setup that most of the time i try to like watch like you know underwatched twitch streamers in the cube category they're just like not talking about anything mm-hmm. and it's hard like because like you have to start by talking to almost nobody and like expect that just nobody's gonna respond to you yeah exactly like 
you just have to have a running commentary with yourself like an enter you have to be able to improvise an entertaining monologue pretty much <laughs> yeah and it's like you have to do it knowing that probably no one is there to hear it but be, know that you kind of have to do it because when some people do show up you have to like catch their interest when they come yeah so it's it's a yeah. tough situation starting out like if you don't have a follower base to like get things going and one piece of advice I can really say is that, like, if you are starting out on, and trying to be a Twitch streamer, like, if you have a friend that could just be in Twitch chat, like, to, like, say things to you occasionally, <laughs> yeah, just to, like, keep things going and, like, to also, like, be the sort of welcome committee for anyone that does also pop into chat, I think that that can really help. Yeah, just that anyone else who comes isn't, like, the only person in chat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, can, be, it, it can look weird to have only one person in chat. Um, <laughs> but I think it's better to have that person than nobody because it, it at least, like, forces you to be more entertaining when other people do show up. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so if you have, a, if you have like, a, if you're wanting to start on Twitch streaming and have someone you can go in on with it, you know, just uh, set, up, set it up so that, like, you could be in each other's chat rooms. <laughs> Mm-hmm. to like get things kind of going on your community yeah <laughs> so so it's not just a blank empty void with you not saying anything either yeah i think that makes sense yeah in general just like collaborating in that way is good like if people see you in each other's chats then that'll be good for both you and in, in any case mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> assuming one of you does start to do well exactly yeah yeah it, it just i think it just helps a lot to have someone to go in with you when you start going live and not just kind of going on blindly there is one more thing uh kevin matthews really wanted me to talk with you about this oh boy so kit yes you're still not using a calendar are you no uh i think kevin just wanted me to like shame you for that a little bit um (laughs) (laughs) and he he gave me some links and stuff uh that he said were pretty helpful i don't know i'll put them in the show notes uh, okay. You can check them out if you want to. I don't feel like they necessarily... I'll put them in later, hopefully. Like, when I'm editing, I'll remember to do this. Because uh, I don't have them on hand right now. Um, I didn't know Kevin Matthews got the Let's Shame Kit section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> normally that's reserved for me. But um, <laughs> I, I've outsourced. <laughs> what... what, what? Does he just recommend different like phone apps for calendars or No, it's it's more like uh having a having systems for um managing emails was one of them. One touch email management, are you familiar with it? Um n- no. The idea is basically that every email you get, you look at once and then you archive it. And with each email, you send it to one of four places, either your calendar, your to-do list, um your reading list or your like data like like a data repository like you just have a place where you put all your things that you might need to refer back to later can you hear my cat i think so she's yelling at me Uh, (laughs) come back (laughs) uh but yeah so that was why i think he wanted you to have a calendar so that you can be better at managing your emails and your life (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) it is a good system i i've I haven't quite used a one-touch email system, but I'm starting to use it now, actually, after reading the things he sent, because it was close enough to the system I did anyway, and just seemed like slightly better, so mm. uh, it's I mean, not I, a bad idea. I, I use a lot of, like, Gmail features, like snoozing emails. Um, like, if the, if they if an email, like, has a deadline or it has a calendar event or something, I often will, like, have that snooze to, you know, like, essentially create some reminder for me to do something later or something of that nature so it's not necessarily like a calendar that i use but i do like use gmail snooze feature a lot if like i need to if it's something i need to do later or something of that nature yeah one of, one of the things in the article he sent me was basically like yeah don't do that because there are just better like purpose-built things for for those <laughs> for that kind of thing like getting a reminder through your email just ends up being more cluttered and stuff um mm-hmm. but i mean honestly if it works for you i just keep doing it until it doesn't work for you uh, <laughs> i don't know if it necessarily works for me but um <laughs> it hasn't broken down yet <laughs> yeah that's 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 the thing right like as long as like once it starts being a problem 
you'll either figure it out or you'll just be a very disorganized person. And you don't seem to be that disorganized of a person, so I think you're doing fine. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not as organized as I used to be. Like I, as I said last episode, like I basically, like ten years, ten to like seven to ten years ago, pretty much had 100% control of my life without having to even think about it. Like, or even, like, actively yeah, yeah. organize myself. Like, if I had meetings, my mind just kept track of everything automatically. Obviously, when you're younger, you have fewer obligations for the most part. So, that's a lot easier. I don't know if I had fewer. At the, when I was, yeah. like, an undergrad and a master's student, it almost felt like I had more obligations. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that were at least, like, rigidly set in stone. I think what's harder about now being a PhD student is that, like, everything is so... Like I have meetings still like and uh, there's le to, I, there's actually less meetings I have to deal with and fewer classes that I'm taking. So it's like the problem is that like I'm in a more fluid state of like working. Hmm. Um, and I think that's what's making it harder for me to keep track of things is because not everything is as rigid as it used to be. OK. Yeah, that makes sense as well. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. There wasn't that much I wanted to say about that, but. He sent me a bunch of stuff, and I actually do think it's pretty interesting to look at and read through, um, if a little bit long in some parts. But uh, I'll put the links in the show notes for anyone who's interested in seeing those kind of systems. I think I think it is useful and interesting to think about that stuff, but that's not really what this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that takes us out of follow-up um, and into topics where, of course, the word cakes is still there. <laughs> I don't know why. Have you had any good cakes there. recently, Andrew? Um, yeah, I have. Cool. Um, I'm happy. Let's move along. My brother got a, a bunt cake pan. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that, that's that topic for today. Um, <laughs> so should I, uh, should I talk about math? Yeah, you should. Okay. Um, I'm excited for this one. So, <laughs> I I was thinking about scrambling at some point, and like, you know, like um, if you're doing random move scrambles, God forbid, but but if you are doing random move scrambles, it's not you can't just blindly generate moves at every single step because of cancellation, cancellation, and also uh, commutation. Right. Okay. Um. So, like, obviously, you don't want to, like, if you're generating, like, a random move three by three scramble, you don't want to, uh, you know, generate R and then R2. Yeah. But you also don't want to generate, like, R, L prime, and then R2. Yeah. Uh, because the R2, it doesn't add a new move. It just changes a previous move. So one could be interested in seeing like how many moves is required to at least surpass the number of possible states generated by random move. Um, mm -hmm. Because so like, you know, we know there's 4.3 times 10 to the 19th Rubik's cube states. And one question yeah. you ask is like, you know, how many different random move states are there um, for sequences of 25 moves? Uh, Wouldn't that necessarily be able to get to all of them though? Cause they're like, right it, it could be that like two different sequences produce the same state of course ah got it okay um, yeah. but you want to make sure like in order for like because if you if your random move generator can't even produce as many sequences as there are states you know that you haven't picked enough moves for sure yeah and so you probably want to do something that's on at least one power to the 10 <laughs> um greater <laughs> than the number of states if not maybe a little bit more um, mm -hmm. But regardless, I was do trying to do this calculation for um, five by five at one point because five by five, as we've been talking about, is on the cusp of being potentially random state and not random move. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought I found an interesting property about how scrant random move generation works for five by five. But then I realized it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but in realizing it doesn't work that way, I realized that the three by three random move generation is actually has a, a weird connection to Fibonacci numbers. <laughs> All right. I'm intrigued. Okay. Uh, and you, you were like just figuring this out right before we started recording. Right. So. Basically because I was trying to, I thought this applied to five by five and then I realized five by five has more going on that I wasn't considering. <laughs>
So let's talk about just in general how we would generate a random move three by three scramble. First, let's just talk about what moves you have available. There are six faces to choose from. And on each face, you have three possible turns. So like R, R prime, R2, three choices, six faces. That's 18 moves to pick from. So if you're trying to count the number of random move scrambles, move one has 18 choices. Now, things get a little trickier with move two. Um, Well, not so much because like basically whatever move you pick, like um, say the first move is R. Well, you're clearly not going to pick R again. You're also not going to pick R2 or R prime. So your second move always has 15 choices to pick from. Now this is where things get hairy. (laughs) Because if you happen to pick a move that is uh, the second move, which is on the opposite face as the first move, you have even fewer choices the next time. But if you don't, then you just have another 15, right? Right. But if you picked two adjacent moves previously, then you actually have the same number of moves available each time. Mm-hmm. And now you can see where this is, can be kind of weirdly related to Fibonacci um, because Fibonacci um, is a sequence of numbers that looks at the past two numbers to generate the next one in the sequence. Yeah. So you start off with one, one, and then one plus one is two. One plus two is three. Two plus three is five for anyone that's not familiar with Fibonacci numbers. So you, that's how <laughs> you would generate the Fibonacci number sequence. But here's what's interesting. If you're trying to count the number of um, states there are that you could generate from random move sequences, um, one way you would probably want to do now, one thing you'd probably want to do now when you get to this third move is make different branches to account for different cases. Okay. Yeah. Because you have case one, the previous two moves were on opposite layers, and case two, the previous two moves were on adjacent layers. So three of the 15 moves from the previous step would result in opposite layers and 12 of the 15 possible moves um, would result in adjacent layers. Um, As if L is your first move, you could pick any of the four adjacent ones and that's 12 possible moves that would be adjacent and then three on the opposite that would be um, opposite moves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what that means then is um, now we have to consider that, okay, Three of the moves would result in the next step being 12 to pick from, but 12 of the previous moves would result in 15 to pick from. Okay. So yeah. now here's what's interesting. First move, one case. Second move, one case. Third move, two cases. Oh, okay. Now, if we're looking for the fourth move, um, if we go on the branch where we had opposite faces, if there were 12 moves to pick from there all 12 of those moves have to be adjacent to the previous one. Yeah. So there's no branching of cases here because um, you were forced to pick an adjacent face. If you start like L and then R, then you have to pick something adjacent to both of those for the next one. Yeah. Um, So there's no case branching there. But if we happen to continue picking adjacent faces, there's always then the chance that you could pick an opposite face in that point. So if we go down the other branch where we picked an adjacent face, we could pick an opposite face uh, off of the third move, or we could pick another adjacent face. Okay, wait, you have, it seems like there's still only one or two cases, though, isn't there? I guess there's a third case. There, there's now three cases for the fourth move. You either picked an adjacent move last time, or you picked an, uh, or sorry, yeah, you picked an opposite move last time, and you were forced to pick ad- adjacent this time. Yeah, you picked adjacent, and now pick opposite, or you continue. And then the third case, you continue to pick adjacent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what happens is, um, like the way I've been plotting, like these, like sort of random move trees out, um, is like by doing the number of choices at each step. Yeah. Um. Where So, like, first, step one has 18, step two has 15, and basically every time you have f- uh, ch- 15 choices for your move, there's always the possibility of picking an opposite, and that's where it branches. So, 15s yeah. always branch into a 12 and 15 for the next step, mm-hmm. and 12s always just go straight back to a 15, because you had to pick opposites pre-selling, you're forced to pick adjacent the next time. So, after a 12, you're at, you're at the 12 when you've had opposite-opposite. 
Then you just did an adjacent. Okay, got it. Yeah, you can do any of the 15. Okay. So is that Fibonacci, though? So it, the, the Fibonacci the is Fibonacci? the number of cases. <laughs> is and, and those are cases for the total, like, the overall sequence, right? Yeah, it's like I'm talking, like... So a sequence of length 1 just has one option, which is 15. If like is is that what we're doing? We're creating a sequence out of the number of possible um, moves. It's n- it's not about how many possible random move states there are. It's just how many tree branches you have to make to account when you are counting the number of possible random move states. Right. So the number of options for the number of moves. So the, okay. So yeah. the first number in the sequence is one. Okay. The first number of seat in the sequence is one. Yeah. Because there's one case. There's state. just eighteen moves to pick from. Yeah. And then there's a then it's. Nope, the second one's one also again. one because you have 50, always will have 15, 15 moves to right. pick from. Then it's two because it's either 15 or 12. De- yeah, depending on if the second move chosen was opposite or adjacent. Hold on, I need to draw this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> this is a great topic for a podcast, isn't it? And that splits into either 12 or 15. And anytime it's 15, it splits into 12 or 15. Right. 12 always goes to 15, though? Yes, because... um. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand it. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. We can go back to the podcast in a second. I just want to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically because, like... um. To get to a 12 state, like, you had to do, like, for example, if your move sequence was, like, that you randomly generated was first L, then R, Mm -hmm. the move that you had to generate in the third case had to be adjacent to the second. Meaning that no matter what, because there were two opposite moves in space one and two, two and three have to be adjacent. Meaning there's always then 15 choices for the fourth move in the case where one the first two moves are opposite. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm trying to understand why. Like I Now I can see where the Fibonacci is. <laughs> and I'm trying to understand why. So obviously, so 12s split into, turn into a 15. 15s turn into a 12 and a 15. Mm-hmm. And because at like the second layer, or the third, I'll call it layer two of the tree, calling the first layer layer zero yeah so that's how i'm thinking that's how i'm used to thinking about trees okay um so at layer two of the tree you have a 12 and a 15 option yeah that's your first case where you have two options yeah that necessarily splits into three because anytime you have a 12 and a 15 it splits into three as a result oh i can see where the fibonacci comes in now yeah so it's it this is actually related to like a reproduction problem for fibonacci Basically, like, you could create the Fibonacci sequence by, like, creating a bunch of rules for, like, how these, like, theoretical rabbits procreate. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, you basically um, start with, like, a 12. <laughs> because the 18 yeah. in our case is basically acting like a 12. Um, but basically, say you start with one white rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, every white rabbit in um the for every white rabbit will become a red rabbit in the next phase and then the red rabbit becomes a white and a red rabbit exactly yeah what that does is like that's all all fibonacci is is it's a recurrence relation between two numbers exactly, right exactly yeah and it is like self similar um mm-hmm. So as a result, whenever you can look at any point in this tree and find that recurrence relation where you go, essentially 15 splits into 12 and 15. Mm -hmm. Then on one of those branches, you're back at 12, so you're like one number back on the tree. Yep. Because the 15 had a 12 above it. The other branch has a 15 again, so now you've got a 12 and a 15. And that's just like the definition of Fibonacci, which is the previous two numbers. Yep. And you're back there again. And so every time every time that 15 splits, it gives you the previous two numbers. Yes. 
Yeah. So if you draw this out, it is very easy to see. I don't know. I have no idea what we sound like right yeah. now. <laughs> Bunch of crazy people trying to talk about math. Uh, I feel like we should make a video about this. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's kind of cool. Like, this, it is pretty cool. Um, yeah, because it, it it's something that like when you actually like try to map this out for yourself, like um, if you have some some experience in trying to like count counting large things like this, essentially, yeah, um, <laughs> it make the, the whole process here sort of makes sense. But um, it's it, it's so it's like it's sensible to think through it, but it's just kind of cool because when I was trying to play through this, I was like, oh, there's like this exact, basically almost exact Fibonacci recursion, the thing that's happening. Yeah, it really is because it's just like one type of state becomes either the previous state mm -hmm. or a new state, which will then evolve into the previous state. Right. And that's pretty much the definition of Fibonacci. Yeah. And to, to explain out the idea I was talking about previously, like to just remove the cube thing from it, the basic idea that like uh, random move generation is relating to that generates the Fibonacci numbers is that rabbit example I talked about. Yeah. So why don't you talk more about that? Yeah. And why that really creates the Fibonacci numbers? Because right. I feel like that's a... <laughs> perhaps easier to follow than when we're throwing in these other numbers like 12 and 15 <laughs> yeah so it's like yeah you if you start with one white rabbit and then follow the rules that like in the next phase or next step every white rabbit just becomes a red rabbit or like maybe just call it black because that's easier to shade in when you have a pencil <laughs> or a pen yeah uh it's <laughs> so like every white rabbit will become a black rabbit in the next phase but then black rabbits in the next phase will become both a white and a black rabbit and yeah the reason this ends up working is because when when you actually draw this out you can literally every time the next step occurs um it's harder to do this in, until you get to like actually to this the step where there are two previous ones before it but you can always map each step as like the previous two steps like you can identify the exact layout of those two steps in the step that follows those two yeah, it's very easy to see visually if you draw out an actual tree like this where you can see, okay, if you look at this layer, mm -hmm. how many elements are in it? Well, it's just the layer above it plus the layer above that. Yep. And that's because the layer above it recreates the layer above it. Exactly. Plus itself. Yeah, so if you if you want to just see <laughs> the general concept without thinking about cubes first, um, try this exercise for yourself where you just start with one like um, unshaded circle and go with the rule that like underneath every unshaded circle you draw a shaded circle and under every shaded circle you draw another shaded circle and also an unshaded circle and if you do try this and it and you can't figure out how it relates to cubes still try to write a comment letting us know and maybe we'll go over this again next episode so that once everyone's done that we can hopefully explain it in a way that makes more sense with the cube yeah we get a lot of comments all the time that like we start talking <laughs> about things that are over most uh people's heads uh so <laughs> i'm trying to keep this in mind but i also like talking about this kind of stuff so yeah this is the most interesting stuff i think <laughs> i agree but i don't know hopefully <laughs> Hopefully we're not too over people's heads when we talk about this stuff for the general listeners here. Yeah, just just try the rabbit thing. I'll cut out probably a bunch of the other stuff where it was just like me drawing and kit, like muttering <laughs> about numbers. Uh <laughs> um, yeah, but basically the idea of like how many moves you have available, like is it, when you generate a random move sequence, is has to look at the previous two moves because they have to check to see if the previous two moves were opposite or adjacent to determine how many possible moves there are in the next state. Yeah, and each of those previous moves had to itself look at the previous two moves. Yeah. Um, which is exactly what you're doing with Fibonacci numbers again. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. Well, that made some sense, possibly, at the end. Yeah. Um, you want to talk more about more tangible cubing? I guess. Oh, shoot. That was supposed to happen somewhere in there for sure. Uh, <laughs> somewhere um, in there for sure. Yep. Just sometime between the the last like transition noise and now. That was supposed to happen. That's all the, the help you get, listeners. Sorry. <laughs> man you're the worst andrew we we need a new bell person uh, <laughs> i was distracted i was drawing trees happy little trees so to bring it back to cubing um 
to what extent is learning algs worth it? This is something that Stanley Chapel and I discussed on my last stream. Okay. Um, because I was doing a thing where I just, like, every week, hopefully, I'm going to learn some algs, some ZBLLs. And Stanley knows a lot of ZBLLs himself and a lot of other algs and stuff. And he said to me that um, he thinks it's something of an unpopular opinion, but he thinks that learning algs is worth it. Um, is worth it. Yeah. Do you first of all do you agree with that, and secondly, do you think that's an unpopular opinion? Because um, I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't. It's it's hard to say that because I think that um, I think both sides would argue they're an unpopular opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because like I think for so long people are have like I think it's because it um, you know like initially the idea is like learn more algs, therefore I get better at cube. Which, like, is so 100% true early on. <laughs> like, moving from yeah. <laughs> beginner's method to four-look last layer is, like, just such a giant leap. But then I think that, like, it, obviously the trade-off to, like, of how much you gain versus, like, uh, how much you have to learn really flips itself on its head. You know, once you get to four-look last layer where you know two-look OLL and two-look PLL, the next not logical step is, like, to move to one-look PLL where you have to now, you know, learn, you know the rest of the 21 algs for PLL. Yeah, so instead of having, like, what, three, I guess? Yeah. Three or four if you want, like, full two-look. Mm -hmm. Now you have to learn 20, and it saves you one step rather than yeah. learning four, and it saves you, like, five steps. <laughs> I think I think you have to actually, to, have, to be pure two-look on PLL, I think you need six. You need an opposite and an adjacent corners case. Uh, and then you need the two U-perms, Z and H. That's true. I consider the two U perms to be the same. Oh well, if we're if we're talking twenty one is the total, then we have to say six is for two. Okay, old. fair, fine. Yeah, that's true. Um, but um, regardless, so basically you have to learn fifteen algs, and honestly, going from four look to three look is nowhere near as big of a jump as it was to move from like beginner's method to four look. Mm -hmm. But like that move in itself, I guess. Um, I don't know, it's hard to quantify, but it it's, you had to learn probably, like, you probably already knew most of the six PLLs yeah. as a beginner that you needed for two-look. And, like, for OLL um, to be two-look, I think you have to learn, like, I can't remember exactly how many it is, but it's, like, around, like, seven or eight ALGs. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it's about the same number of ALGs you have to learn, but um, they're longer typically on average like the other 15 pll's are not easy algs to learn and the benefit is nowhere near as big yeah um, it definitely drops off yeah the next step is ol which is like fi probably 50 algs to learn that you don't know yet <laughs> and the drop is even less than learning two look pll or learning one look pll i mean and then even and then after that the trade-off becomes just ridiculous where you have to just learn to you know shorten any even like semi substep that doesn't come up every solve like you have to learn a ton of algs for things that only help in certain cases that you can maybe force so i think that initially that, that's what kind of leads like you know initially the popular opinion is like oh i get faster because i learn more algs great but then eventually this trade-off happens and i think everyone gains this unpopular opinion of that that or recognizes that learning algs is good is an unpopular opinion because you can get faster by doing other things like you know like um working on just look ahead and working on uh, turning speed or whatever other things help you become faster. But then now, so like from that perspective, learning algs is an unpopular opinion, but I also, or no, sorry, from that perspective, not learning algs is an unpopular opinion, but then it makes learning algs again, an unpopular opinion <laughs> from Stanley's point of view. Yeah, so at each option, there are two previous options. Yeah. <laughs> Either it was popular or unpopular, and which of those it is depends on the two. No. <laughs> so we're basically just making a Fibonacci tree, is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I think, is more of a binary tree. I but agree, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but but I, I, I like the callback. But yeah, so I can see where you're saying that. Um, where do you land on that? Is it unpopular or is it popular? <laughs> I don't know. I think that neither is really a popular nor unpopular opinion. I think it's they are they are probably very 
sound opinions on both sides. And I think it really just depends on what where you are in your cubing journey. Okay, that makes sense. Because I think that there are a lot of people, me, um, who are bad at learning algs and just are lazy to learn new things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as a result, like, just get very good at the limited algs set they know and clearly will benefit from learning algs. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, not initially, of course, but like, like basically for the, for the most part for me, like the algs I know, I know very well how to recognize them and apply them quickly, but I have a very limited algs set that I know. Like I'm not even full OLL yet. Okay. Uh, there's, yeah. It's stupid how few I don't know. Like I should honestly just <laughs> sit down and learn them so I can finally say I'm full OLL, but I am not full OLL. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, pro- I'm missing a single digit number of them okay <laughs> um, i just really don't care about three by three speed solving uh <laughs> yeah regardless um i think there are also people who are like the cubing intellectuals that think that the way that they get better is by just continuing to learn things without truly like ingraining those things that they've learned Mm-hmm. And being very quick to recall algs, recognize algs, things of that nature. And like I think from that end, those sorts of people really need to do more of the look ahead practice or recognition practice, things of that nature. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think any opinion is necessarily more popular than the other. I think that like which one is right really depends on where people are in their progress journeys for three by three in this case. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. That is a well thought out answer. <laughs> not as controversial as i was hoping Uh, yeah (laughs) i'm not feeling edgy today (laughs) but yeah i mean that that makes a lot of sense i obviously think that for me learning algs is worth it or at least enjoyable Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) i don't know if it's the best thing i could be doing for my practice but um i like recognizing and like solving zbll's and solves just feels good Uh, (laughs) so i do it and I do think that, like, for a lot of people, one of the ways they could improve a lot with relatively minimal effort is by just, like, learning a lot of algs. Because I think most people overestimate how hard it is. Like, if you're going to be practicing for, like, even if you practice one hour a day, you could spend the next 365 days practicing for an hour a day. And I don't know how much you'd improve. Like, let's say you're pretty fast. You'd improve by, like, if you're pretty fast already, you maybe improve by, like, a second or two. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you spent that time learning most of ZBLL instead, you would also improve by like a second or two if you each day learned an ALG, like just one ALG, and then spent a bunch of time practicing and drilling recognition and stuff. It might be more boring practice for you, but I think it could save you a comparable amount of time and then still leave you room to grow. Yeah. So I, I think people in general just overestimate how hard it is to learn algs. It might just be because for most people it's more boring to learn algs than it is to like solve cubes. Uh, <laughs> but um, I do think there's a lot to gain from it. Yeah, and I think I think it's also that people don't like the transition period where they learn a new case and are like freezing up in every solve because they think it's that case and it is, or they think it's yeah. that case and it isn't that case. So I think that there's like. Also, like, learning algs makes solving less fun. Mm-hmm. I can see that. So, it's like, I don't know. I um, I find it really hard for me to learn algs, personally. Like, j- even just simple OLLs that aren't even that long. Like, I will... It takes me a long time to, like, gain the recognition for the case and then also associate it with the set of moves and then not forgetting that set of moves. Right, yeah. Like, I could... It gets easier over time, though, I do, like, for sure. Yeah. I will say that obviously with practice. I will say that like there was there's one OLL that I learned in the past six months that like I forgot the set of moves for it four times. <laughs> like I was able to recognize the case and knew what I needed to do, but would start doing like the first four moves and just be like, nope. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and that's common for me with like learning algs is just like the um, like the muscle memory like is trying to be there, but it's disjointed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, like, I have these, like, moments of amnesia mid-alg all the time, which makes it just <laughs> really hard for me to, like, truly learn an alg. Especially when, like, different algs have very similar triggers in them because, like, they'll recall parts of other algs that aren't in this new alg that I learned. I think that's the thing that happens when you don't know that many algs because your fingers get so used to doing just a few. 
and kind of like once you learn enough different things that stops being a problem just because like your fingers stop assuming that you're always doing the same thing <laughs> but yeah there's definitely a transition period in between and i definitely felt that when i like first started learning mm-hmm. new algs i that was definitely the same way yeah um although probably i it sounds like you're probably less like naturally inclined toward learning algs than i am yeah um, i mean this is happening to me like at the end of learning OLL. So it's not that I don't yeah. know a, like many algs already, but I, I, I would consider just OLL not to be that many algs. <laughs> See, to me, it feels it, uh, it all, it's always felt like a lot, which is why I've been learning full OLL for a decade now. Uh, <laughs> oops. Yeah. Granted, I'm not really trying that hard. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think part of it is that you're not practicing much, so you don't really get ever a chance to apply those solves. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, those those new algs. And then the other part of it is probably like some sort of natural, like just being less disposed towards it. Yeah. And then also just having not done it as much, or at least not in a short period of time. Like, like I think that for me learning, like there were, there were times when I would learn like 20 new algs in a day (laughs) and then doing after doing that, learning one alg in a day feels super easy. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) for sure. Even even though, of course, after I learned those 20, I would forget like half of them. But still remembering 10 out of 20 isn't that bad. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's like the thing is like I hear people like that learn like on two by two, like learn all of CLL in a day. And I'm like, yeah, I don't even know how so to recognize crazy. CLLs, man. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help me that my color scheme is weird, too. So like looking at the sheets and stuff is hard. Yeah, it's like I have to like translate all the sheets into my color scheme, which is also like a big barrier for me to like learning stuff like that yeah so um i think that in general though that yeah i if anything i think the community generally leans on like don't learn algs maybe a little too heavily and that like people need to learn algs more often than they are mostly because i know i am bad at it (laughs) and i don't try (laughs) yeah so i think that's an interesting discussion i think that if you care about three by three and you are at a certain speed already where like like I was saying, like if you're at the if you're at the point where an hour a day would only improve you by like one second in a year, then you should start learning Alex. <laughs> yeah. All right, so kid, I think today we've had uh, we talked about streaming, we talked about the bell, we talked about something completely off topic. Uh, we <laughs> talked, talked about, about math and something that wouldn't make sense yeah rabbits uh, we talked about learning algs i think we're only missing one more thing which is a weird hypothetical oh yeah um, perfect to round out the episode uh, <laughs> uh so a while ago i put this hypothetical question into the show notes which is if we had modern hardware a long time ago would slice turns be considered plus two all right i'm curious what your th- i have very strong feelings on this so i'm curious what your thoughts are um Let's see. I'm going to go with no. Good. I don't think they would be just because my understanding of the evolution of like outer block turn metric Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't really have that much to do with the methods people were using or the types of like turns like slice turns. Well, they haven't certainly haven't always been as easy as they are now i don't think they were ever off the table yeah like i i don't think there was ever a point where it was considered so hard to do an uh, do an uh to do a slice turn that like that that it wouldn't factor into the decision of what to consider a plus yeah two. i mean i started cubing in 2008 and doing h perm with like m moves has been the basically only way to do the alc <laughs> yeah um even with bad hardware uh, it, it, even Z perm was being done with slices, even though there are decent mm-hmm. like RU Z perms. The MU Z perm has been the norm for a long time. Granted, MU U perms were definitely not the norm back then. Um, mm-hmm. But I think given the hardware at the time, that the trade off for MU and how short the RU case is relative to that uh, made the trade off worth it to stick with RU on that hardware. But uh, I think the biggest thing about, like, ever even trying to come up with regulations for slice turns being plus two is a gigantic mess. Oh, really? Yeah. So more, more like, describing what cubes look like. Uh, well, I guess descri- <laughs> we went from describing what trees look like now to what describing cubes look like. Um, 
the reason like doing outer block turn metric is useful for penalties is because you always have an inner layer to reference, or at least if it's an even layer cube, you have the other half of the cube to reference against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're doing the slice on a three by three, what do you reference as to how far off it is? That's true, because you can have like a slice and also have a top layer off by a exactly. bit. Exactly. And then... Yeah, it's like in a perfect world where like slice turns like lock the outer two layers in the same position <laughs> always, <laughs> then yes, it's super easy to tell how much the slice is off. But as soon as you don't have an aligned, the, the outer layer, two layers of a three by three aligned with each other, slice misalignments make no sense. What if you compared... I feel like there's a way. I feel like you can compare the outer layers to each other first, mm-hmm. then compare the middle layer to both of them. Like you could say if the outer two layers compared to each other would look like a plus two, like a two by two plus two, then you've got a plus two. If the middle layer then is a plus two with either of those, then it's a DNF. But it's if it's not a plus two with either of them, then it's not. I don't know. Like there, there, I feel like there's some way you could do that, but it is a lot messier. Yeah, the, the, the problem is applying rules consistently. Like we have a hard time applying a lot of somewhat complicated regs consistently across the world. And like any rules you come up with for slice move as misalignment plus twos requires almost like a flow chart to fully understand how they work. And one one case that I think is really um mind bending for some people, do an E like an E2. Just do an E2. Okay. Now do a slightly less than 45 degree U move and a slightly less than 45 degree D move. Okay. This looks totally like a DNF. Yes. It like just intuitively looks like it should be a DNF. <laughs> yeah. But there's a way to, to to with fixing the outer layers to turn the slice. Basically, if you turn the slice 180 degrees from this point, because again, I told you to do an E2 at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do an E2 move here, the cube becomes solved. Therefore, it's only one move off, and it's a plus two. Wait, hold on. The cube becomes solved. Solved because you did less Wait. than 45 degree moves on the U and D layers. Therefore, those are fine. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. This is another thing where some you like you have to do it, listener. Do an E two, then do these slightly less than forty five yeah. degree moves. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, do an E two, and then just do less than forty five degree moves, like clockwise on U and D, and you see a cube that like basically looks like it should be a DNF, but you can apply one move to the slice that E two move you did at the beginning, and the cube becomes solved even by today's standards. Therefore, it's one move off and it should be a, a plus yeah. two. And this is why I mean like. You could probably come up with a way to do it, but you have to like really carefully write out how to make this even possible. Yep. <laughs> um, I see the problem. Yeah. So it's it's not that it's impossible to write, because I've seen people write impo- like possible ways to judge this, but I've not seen one that's concise and simple enough that I can confidently say other people will understand it. Um, even with current rules, we have people calling like cubes that are off by u2 a dnf because they think that's two moves so like if we can't even really achieve like perfect application of regs with our current misalignment rules like it's going to be a giant mess with any slice turn misalignments so no i don't think that the hardware if modern hardware existed over a decade ago i don't think the regs would have changed (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so either. I just thought it was interesting to think about because modern modern hardware is so much better at slice turns, but it that doesn't really seem to be what the regs are based no. on. No, because I I mean honestly, fine. I'll give you a hot take. I don't prob- I don't know. I probably said this hot take before on this podcast, but <laughs> my opinion is that misalignment plus two shouldn't exist. Yeah, you've said that yeah, before. <laughs> pretty sure it's it's one of my like one of my more well known hot takes. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I just, it, to some extent, like, they are they are not method neutral, with, like yeah. Rue compared to CFOP or ZZ, for example. And the time ad- addition is just so arbitrary. Like, why two seconds? Why? <laughs> that means something yeah. completely different on every single event. Yep. From, <laughs> like, basically death on two by two to virtually meaningless on multi-blind. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
I don't know. There's definitely good arguments for keeping them that I de- I respect, and I'm definitely like not gonna die on this hill. Um, but <laughs> um, I think in many ways the WCA would be better off trying to not have misalignment penalties in general, other than just if it's more than 45, it's DNF. That should be the misalignment penalty. <laughs> that would make a lot of my solves DNFs. <laughs> well, it would force you to solve the cube next time. <laughs> So, what's going on in Hollywood, Maryland these days, or in the past? Well, depending on what kind of fact you have. You know, given that, you know, Hollywood is, you know, typically a well-known place not in Maryland, um, you might wonder, how does Hollywood get, uh, you know, its name in Maryland? Okay. Um, Well, turns out that uh, the name started because there was a general store in in Unincorporatopia, Maryland. And they needed a name for the post office that they were going to have inside this general store. Basically, dude sees tree. Holly tree. Tree has wood. Hollywood. All right. (laughs) That's how it got the name. Really? Yep. There was a gigantic holly tree in front of the general store that needed a name for their post office. All right. That's (laughs) like very boring. Uh (laughs) I know, right? It's kind of like, uh, I, I, I remember playing some game where, like, I don't know, it was like some, like, game involving creativity. I was, like, really young, like, 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I think it was, it, I can't remember what the game was called, but it was some general, like, um, Pictionary-esque kind of game where you have to, like, yeah. you know, draw out things. And they're based on, like, prompts that the people create themselves. Okay, yeah. And, like, I remember just literally, like, looking down, and I'm like, hmm, there is paper in front of me. And then I look up, and it was like, there is a picture in a frame. And <laughs> I wrote down on the uh, the thing, like, as, like, one of the entries, paper frame. <laughs> uh, and then, like, someone called me out, and it was just kind of like, who made this one? And I was like, it was me. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me and was like, hmm, I wonder how he created it. And then he just, like, looked, he, it was like, hmm, looks at paper, paper looks up frame paper frame and i was just like (laughs) i never felt so violated in my life uh (laughs) uh sometimes my girlfriend sophie will do like 20 questions with me Mm -hmm. and my first strategy is always to look around the room yeah (laughs) (laughs) but to be fair that's also her best strategy when i try it so (laughs) (laughs) so what you're saying is that basically, the, I guess what I'm saying is that Hollywood, Maryland was basically a game of 20 questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where they're like, well, I better just look around me to figure out what the, the answers to this should be. Yeah. <laughs> now it makes me wonder how Hollywood was named in California. It's It's got to be the same way, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it has to be. Like what else? Where else does Hollywood come from? <laughs> Unless they were like, "Man, I just got back from Maryland. <laughs> I wonder what I should name my new yeah. city." <laughs> uh, it's definitely based on a California holly tree. Okay, that's settled then. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just—it's interesting that like wood is what people use, like to like not like Hollyville or like holly town or yeah it's like it's like sherwood or whatever right i guess i guess yeah maybe if there's a holly forest then it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, like because you're in the wood but yeah i mean at least in california's case like the holly tree like the california holly like it grows all over the mountains near hollywood <laughs> yeah so like it makes sense to call it act something after the holly like but they literally were it's like well, just one tree <laughs> yeah we got one tree in front of my store therefore we got hollywood <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to our new se events yes so you never did my event and i am curious right. to hear your experiences with that event <laughs> yeah so for those who don't remember this was from two episodes ago three yes. by three with face um, I got a 120 average of five, which is, uh, that's slightly better than yours, I think. Nope. No, slower? Slower. I had a 111. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. 
So not it, it was difficult. Yeah. I had a good solve in there. I had a 102 um, yep. and a 107. So I, I had some good solves. Um, I think the difference between the good solves and the bad solves was that on the good solves, I had a lot of two gen stuff and I could just kind of hold the cube mm. so that I didn't have to keep shifting where my face was. Yep. <laughs> what part of your face did you put the cube on? It was, I kind of rolled it all over my face yeah. in the end, to be honest. Um, I, at first I thought that perhaps I could find a loophole and my tongue would be long enough <laughs> that I could hold it on the end of my tongue and Ew, God, see the awful. cube pretty well. <laughs> Please stop. Don't, don't say anymore. <laughs> I sanitized it first. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're still probably getting like your lube. <laughs> on your tongue just like we don't need to make that like a popular idea don't worry that one didn't last long it wasn't a good strategy anyway okay um, uh, but yeah so i kind of like some of it was on my nose some was like my cheek i i there wasn't a i couldn't find a great place to be honest yeah mine was mostly i, I thought nose was going to be the best strategy at first um, so like, I think my first solve was mostly on my nose, but it didn't work very well. Yeah. Um, just because you end up being cross-eyed way too much. <laughs> um, I found the best place for me was mostly on my chin. Chin. Oh, I should have... I have a beard, so... Oh. That makes turning more difficult. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't even think about beards being an issue <laughs> with this event. <laughs> uh does beard count as face like if your cube is just on the your beard i guess so my beard isn't long enough though to like get an advantage out of that yeah, <laughs> yeah. i never really considered whether a beard was an extension of your face in this event um <laughs> so we don't have to really think about that too much anymore though uh <laughs> so what new event did you come up with andrew um I already told you about this, actually, because we're going to be doing it on the Pocket Show this oh. Friday on my stream. My event is speedrunning the GoCube tutorial um, <laughs> in the GoCube app. All right. Um, have you been using LiveSplit for this? I haven't. I need to figure that out. Um, okay. I was hoping you did so that I could borrow your splits. <laughs> Yeah, no, sorry, I, I don't have splits. I just did a time. I just timed it once. Although I'll figure out splits or live split or X split or whatever before the next, um, before the stream this Friday. Okay, cool. But, um, but yeah, for now you just have my my overall time, which is seven minutes and twelve seconds, which <laughs> is a lot longer than I expected it to be, to be honest. Yeah, that um, is. The tutorial is a little bit annoying. You will find that. I'm not going to give you any hints, though, because I want to hear what your first time yeah. is. I've done um, the tutorial before because you, like, you have to unlock I, it. I have as well, but I just didn't remember it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'd imagine as far as there are the, tricks. Yeah, there's definitely lots of places you can save time. Um, but figuring out exactly what those are is going to be interesting because there are some places where I thought, like, I did one thing. And then I was like, oh, okay, this part I can skip over for this next thing. And then it was like, nope, you have to undo all those things you just did. And I was like, what? <laughs> it really, it, like, it's in, it's not consistent within itself. Like, some, some places it makes you, it doesn't let you skip steps. Some places it does let you skip steps. So, <laughs> yeah. So, as far as the ruling I used, you start the timer when you press, like, the start tutorial button. So, like, you okay. don't go into the tutorial screen. You just go, uh, let me see exactly what the button says. So, you go into the like learn tab in the app yep and when you press the button that says start academy that's when i started the timer okay um and i stopped the timer when the cube was solved and it says congratulations so like when you do the last turn of solving the cube do speed running this makes me wish i had a foot pedal because it's like i don't know what it's gonna be like annoying to have to split by like taking a hand off the cube <laughs> yeah i'm probably like i don't know when i do it with streaming i'm probably gonna split with like my keyboard on the ground or something and just press the space bar or however you do it <laughs> yeah just who needs a foot pedal just put keyboard on ground yeah <laughs> um stuff. but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this can be done sub five uh maybe even a lot faster than that did you say depending what your time on how was much yet? you can skip uh seven seven twelve i think i said it but okay i wasn't sure uh yeah yeah seems reasonable and 
yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I did it before because I had the idea of doing it on stream and then I realized I also needed an SEE event. Um, <laughs> and I figured that would be a good excuse to do it first so that I could be guaranteed to have the world record for a little while. Nice. <laughs> so um, I also did a GoCube related event. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, mine is like a GoCube blindfolded solve. Oh, okay. I like that. Where you basically solve the cube with the Go Cube out of sight, but you can use the phone screen. Okay. Huh. Yeah. I'm like I'm oh. sure people have like have uh, electronic cubes have pr probably tried this at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um because it, it's kind of cool. It's like you're you end up like using your cube as a controller in that way. Mhm. Mm um and the Go Cube in my opinion because it does the rotation tracking the best is best at like actually doing that well and again it makes me really you know optimistic for a cubing 99 at some point uh yeah uh, like granted, that, that's like that, that would be how you'd have to do that so that you can do cool effects with the cube and stuff yeah it's just like you basically use the cube as a controller with the cube on the screen and the cube could change like someone sends a like an attack at you that like flips two edges or something like that yeah like i, I feel like i should maybe start working on something like that because there are ways that you can do that um mm. like there are websites and stuff that you can connect a go cube to and yeah. have it track the moves so i guess there must be apis and stuff that would allow me to make something like that i don't know it's interesting. yeah from what i've talked with lucas about this and i think that's the rotation tracking that's the hardest to get out of oh, go cube okay. which is the tough yeah part. and the most useful <laughs> yeah definitely which is like why like when I stream, like the best way to display the GoCube is literally through the GoCube app in the tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it'd be cool. It, it's it's definitely possible, but it it would take a lot of work to get that extracted out of there. Yeah. So. All right. Um. Oh yeah, and my result oh, and was the, a yeah, yeah. twenty four seventy one average of five on that. Cool. With my times getting much better as time went on. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you got a lot better at it. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I did it now, I'd probably be sub-20 Yeah. <laughs> um, at doing it. But it took me a while to, like, get oriented with, like... Because I think the, the hardest part is figuring out what turning speed you should go. Because if you turn too fast, like, the cube will <laughs> just, like... It freaks out. It just, like, teleports to a new state. And you can't <laughs> track pieces very well. Yeah, I wonder... if. I mean, I'll, I'll have to figure out when I try it, but I wonder if the best strategy will be to, like, plan a bunch of moves in advance and then burst all those moves, then look around the cube again and then burst all those moves. Yeah, uh, I actually think that slow turning is probably a bit better just to be able to turn the cube as you normally would if you could actually see it rather than, like, do the beginner, like, spam moves, pause for two seconds, spam moves <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know though. I'm not as good as seeing like where my next F2L pair be will be after doing the first. And my first solve, I think I tried to do that a bit. My first solve was a 36, and I tried to do that a bit, and I just like destroyed an F2L pair because I thought I planned it correctly. <laughs> so, all right. It's it's interesting with these events that we always give our first try. So it's like if we just practice these events slightly they, we'd get a lot better times but that's part of the fun of it yeah i think the fun of it is doing the like the solves while figuring it out on your own at the same time yeah <laughs> it, it gives it's it gives you that fun part of cubing which is like having a frontier of, exactly like nobody's done this before that i know of so yeah and the like improvement curve is fun too yeah yeah all right well that's those are events kind of sort of <laughs> It's more like we're just inventing like different speed cubing games or just cubing games. Yeah, they're not really realistic things to be events ever, but that's fine too. <laughs> I mean, if if oven mitts can be an event, then I think any of these could be <laughs> if you tried hard enough. I, I think so. I already have my idea for next week, and I'm excited about that one. Ooh, okay. Does it involve drawing trees? No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be another interesting idea, though. Yeah trying to come up with something with trees <laughs> following yeah, performing a scramble and tracing where you are on the tree <laughs> scrambling with tree <laughs> <laughs>